Um, if, uh, if you know anything about summer and summer at the Brooms family, um, it, it gets crazy because suddenly there are 70-some staff that show up at Camp Manitoba, and on top of that, uh, a gajillion children come through the gates of Camp Manitoba for a summer of camping ministry. And it's, it's a, an exciting moment, but at the same time, it's a scary moment because it's, again, another question of stewardship. And so this morning, we are coming together to commission the staff of Camp Manitoba. These people have come from all over the United States, even Ohio. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, we'll pray for you guys. Uh, they've come from all, the, all over the United States, and we are here this morning to pray for them, to commission them into the service of, of uh, being counselors, day camp counselors. Uh, there's no lifeguards this morning, are there? Lifeguards someday. And, you know, we're, this is the ministry of Camp Manitoba, which is called to reach children for the sake of the gospel. So if you are part of the Camp Manitoba staff, would you please stand up right now? It's by the Holy Spirit that you are called here today for the ministry of service, of sharing the gospel to lost people, of reintroducing the powerful gospel to those who are saved so that life continues to be changed by the gospel. So, since it was our Lord who came to serve and calls us to faith and a life of gratitude, you stand ready, hopefully, to render service as camp counselors, as coordinators, as supervisors. So, would you answer these questions? Now, on the bottom is your response after I read the question. Do you accept this ministry at Camp Manitoba in confidence that only comes from God? Will you be diligent in your study of Scripture, faithful in your use of the means of grace, and constant in prayer? And here's something important, because we talked about this. Will you unashamedly proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? And lastly, will you trust in God's care? Seek to grow in love for those that you serve, even those little snot-nosed preschoolers. Strive for excellence in your work. Uphold the unity, purity, and peace of the church and adorn the gospel with a godly life. If so, excellent. Why don't you guys be seated. This message wasn't written for you as staff. Camp Manitoba staff. This is part of our uh, never-ending series in the Gospel of Mark, but I think that it has something very important for you this morning as well. So why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And if you need a Bible to follow along, there's some along the aisles, just kind of wave down and somebody will pass it. And I encourage you, follow along, because the words of God, uh, these, these words on these pages are not just words on pages. These are the breathed out words of God. And these, uh, this is found on page 847 in the Bible that, uh, that you might have. And these are 
powerful words for me. I'll tell you, this week, um, God has been doing some uh, heart surgery on me. Have you ever had one of those moments where you go, ouch, I don't like this so much, but it's really hurting and transforming, and I know it's bringing me to a cure of some sort. This is, this is one of those stories that has really been working in me. So listen carefully to uh, the Gospel of Mark, starting at verse 46 of chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, his sight, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Much of my week is uh, filled with sermon preparation. We as a church believe that the scriptures are the things that change us. That if these are really the words of God, these change us deeply in those places that are private, in these places that are public. And so I spend a lot of time wrestling through uh, different versions of Scripture. I wrestle through uh, concordances. I wrestle through Greek, the original language. And, okay, what is he really trying to say here? Ooh, that doesn't sound so good in English, but, ooh, I like that word in, in the Greek. And I get kind of nerdy that way, you know, and I just love it. And one of the things that I have started to do is realize that um, we are a part of a historic church. We're not just, you know, here in, in 2009, independent of anything that has happened in the past thousands of years. We are part of a, a community of faith. And so what I am doing is I am reading some, uh, some sermons by people who have lived long before me. And one of my, my favorite uh, people that I love to read is, his name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And um, if you're part of the Missio Dei family, you're probably getting sick of him. That's all right. He's not going to be offended. He's dead. Um, but Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was called the Prince of Preachers. He just had this way uh, of reaching people. The way that he preached, he didn't apologize at all. He didn't mince words. He made people extremely uncomfortable. He, he spoke what they needed to hear. He, he preached straight from Scripture. And people's lives were changed. They were just turned upside down. As they heard the gospel, they, they couldn't help but respond. 
And so I was reading one of his, he has three sermons on this section. And one of the sermons, it was called The Blind Man's Earnest Cries. The Blind Man's Earnest Cries. And it was uh, written on August 20th of 1865, so a few years ago. Some of you might remember it, I don't. Uh, But he said this, and this sentence has kind of haunted me for the rest of this past week. He said this, The preacher is responsible for the faithfulness of his preaching. You know, some of you come to church and say, we pay him, he better give a darn good sermon, right? I I want to be amused, I want to be changed, I want to hear this. But then Charles Haddon Spurgeon goes on to say this, but hearers are also responsible for the earnestness of their hearing. So this morning, I'm responsible for being faithful in my preaching. This morning, you are responsible for having earnest ears that listen carefully to what God is saying through the words of Scripture. Of allowing the Scriptures to to go into those places that you have held captive for a long time. And I think that one of the things that is true is that... uh, We often miss in our daily goings-on, we miss Jesus' opportunities. We, we, We don't hear Him passing by in our lives because we have so much stuff going on. You have children, you have a job, you have a wife, you have kids, you have a husband. There is just so much going on that if you're really honest with yourself, you don't hear Jesus walking by or the crowds walking with Him. And I think that it's even true for the church of Jesus Christ today. That we're so busy with programs and stuff that we don't hear Jesus passing by. Bartimaeus was blind, more than likely blind from birth, and a beggar by trade. And because of this, since his eyes were blind, his ears were highly sensitive to the things that were going around to him, around him. He would hear the quiet person trying to sneak by the, ble- the beggar because they don't want to give him anything. You know, he'll probably spend it on booze anyway. So they would hear the quiet walking. They would hear maybe even the posture of a person. Maybe this was kind of a, a pompous priest walking by. And, you know, Bartimaeus would immediately hold out his 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 can or whatever he held out, his hands just begging for it because he knew that the priests were bound by law to give tithes and offerings, to care for the poor. So he would quickly move. So he would hear. He would hear conversations that he might, we might not normally be listening for. He would be a great eavesdropper. He would hear the little things going on, the stories of your life, You would hear the stories from towns all over of people coming through and saying, Hey, have you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Have you heard what He has done? How He he healed a blind man. He cast out demons and sent them into a whole herd of pigs. Oh man, those city folk were pissed. They were totally ticked off. He made a lame man walk. 
hear what Jesus did? He did this. He did this. And Bartimaeus is capturing these little pieces of information. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. And he had to pass through Jericho. It's called the City of Roses. It was rebuilt by the Herodians. And it's 18 miles from Jerusalem. And it was a a nice little place for the priests to wait until it was their day to make the sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. And so it was a place filled with hubbub and all the religious talk of the day was probably taking place. And Jesus was passing through on His way to Jerusalem through Jericho. And the people were getting ready. They were getting ready for their high holy day of Passover. So there were probably a lot of priests because there were a lot of sacrifices taking place. There were a lot of tourists and religious travelers going through. So Jericho was a bustling place. And so Bartimaeus was listening especially carefully. And this morning, he heard a great crowd coming into Jericho. Scripture talks about this great crowd. That it was His disciples and a large group of people who were very curious. Maybe they were other minor disciples trying to find out, who is this Jesus? And Bartimaeus is listening. And he hears, Jesus. Jesus. Maybe, maybe the little children were kind of running at the front of the crowd. You know how they do that. Parents are going, where's my kid? Maybe they're running at the front of the crowd going, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, maybe we'll see him do something. Jesus is coming. It's kind of this, you know, thrill thing. And Bartimaeus is going, I've heard about him. I've heard of this Jesus. I wonder if it's, is it true? All these stories? Is it fact that this is potentially the Son of David, the, the promised Messiah, the One who is coming to save us, to restore Israel, to bring hope to the nations? Is this the Jesus? I hope so. Because if He is, He can do something about my position. I think most of us are very different from Bartimaeus. You see, Bartimaeus was pitifully aware of his condition. He knew he was blind. He had never seen the trees waving in the breeze. He has never seen the beautiful flowers. He has never seen his mother's beautiful face looking at her son. He's never seen any of these things. He was extremely aware of his situation, of his blindness. He knew he was just in perpetual, never-ending darkness which is unlike so many of us who are in spiritual darkness today. He knew what his problem is. Many of us don't. Our hearts are blind. We can't see. And we are extremely unaware. And on top of this, Bartimaeus had, was displaying this... Uh, extremely penetrating insight into the person of Christ. You see, he kept repeating to everyone his, his distress. He kept on saying, Jesus, 
son of David. Jesus, son of David. And in the, in the Greek, it has, it's, it's, it has this idea that it continues to repeat. First, he just kind of shouts out, Hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But as it goes on, he repeats it, and he repeats it. And he's like hounding Jesus, and it gets louder and incessant. And the crowds are going, hey, relax, man, chill out. But this guy is just saying, no, you don't understand. My heart says this is Jesus, the son of David, and I'm asking for him to have mercy on me. I'm aware of my plight. And this is the Christ, the son of the living God. I am keenly aware of who he is. And because I'm keenly aware of who He is, I know I need to respond. I need to respond. Ray Steadman, why don't you throw this up for me, Craig? Ray Steadman says, The significance of this story lies in what Bartimaeus did. That is the reason Mark placed it here. Here was a blind man who was conscious of his blindness. Whereas the disciples were not conscious of theirs. His heart was stirred. And he was persistent in pursuing Jesus, the Son of David. He was persistent in chasing after Him. The life of the church of Jesus Christ Is it marked with a pursuit of Jesus and crying out, God, have mercy on us. I know who you are. You're the promised one. You're the one that can heal me. You're the one that can change me. I dare say no. In fact, I would say it's often marked with apathy or routine or ritual. We do our Sunday gig and we come to church often if it's nice weather, you know, today, we got lucky. Nice weather, this is normally an indicator of low attendance. And so, you know, we, we do our thing. But this man, there was something moving in his heart saying, I need to pursue this, this man, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the promised one. The disciples had heard And seen so much. They had seen healings. They'd they'd seen Jesus having these conversations with the, the religious leaders of the day. They had seen and heard so terribly much. Yet this man, in his heart, he responded wholeheartedly with such faith and such persistence. Physically blind though he was, he saw further into spiritual things than the entire multitude. This one man saw so much. He had heard about Jesus, about His wonderful words. He had meditated upon them in his heart. He took them dear to his heart. And while people were quarreling and debating about who Jesus was, this man, this blind man, made up his mind that this was Jesus, who was going to give sight to the blind, who was able to cleanse the lepers, bring life to the dead. This was none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
one of the tragedies of the church throughout history is that it has way too many blind disciples. And that's where I'm starting to talk to the church. That's, that's us. That's me. Throughout the, the, the ages, there are way too many blind disciples. We get caught up in quarreling about liturgy, don't we? Or how to worship right, or what church to go to, or what, what means or mode of baptism is right, or this or that. And we get caught up in these peripheral issues, and we, we debate and we quarrel. Was he a good teacher? Was he this? Was he that? What should the church do? When in reality, we just lose it. And we become oblivious to our own faults. And what we need is Jesus' power to heal and restore us both physically and spiritually. We need a cry as a church to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Someone once bluntly, and I can see this probably coming out of my mouth, uh, asked blind and deaf Helen Keller this question. Isn't it terrible to be blind? Hello? Dumb question. Which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Better to be blind and see with your heart and have two good eyes and see nothing. This man was persistent. Just his amazing, passionate, persistent for Jesus. He rejected the crowd's control. You know, the crowd told him to shut up and just, dude, stay on the side. Get out of the way. You're barking and it's getting obnoxious. He was shouting again and again, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have... And it was just like this non-stop, persistent, rolling on and on, getting louder and louder. His voice was probably killing him. Understanding something of who Jesus was and his own personal need, he kept saying it over and over and over and over and over again. He kept saying it over and over again, much like a, a helpless infant. Have you ever been around a child who just cries? And just, no offense. <laughs> that, that gets colicky and you're just going, what do I do? There's something wrong and I don't know what it is. And a child is just going, I don't have the words, to, but I'll scream until I get that attention. I'll do whatever it takes till I get that attention. You shove a, a binky in, a baba in, or whatever you call it, and all of a sudden they're just, ah. And you're going, what in the world? And that was Bartimaeus. Not long before, Jesus said this in, in Mark 10, verse 15, regarding children. I tell you, you got it, Craig? Must have died. He said, I tell you the truth. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. And this is Bartimaeus entering. 
Bartimaeus' extreme urgency is a mirror of what it should be like for our souls. For us to just pursue after Jesus. Those of you who are believers who have confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is something about how we need to just constantly be persistent in pursuing Jesus and allow the good news of Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection to continue to respond in changing our souls. We need to constantly be allowing Jesus and saying, God, I'm crying out to you again. I'm well into my life of faith, but I need you to change me. Have mercy on me again. Change me again. Make me a better husband. Make me a better wife. Make me a better kingdom steward. Let me live more fully. God, put to death this this junk in my life, these sins that I struggle with. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Recognizing fully who Jesus is. And blind Bartimaeus, he went for it. He went for it. Head forward. And I love how, you know, Jesus all of a sudden goes, you know what? Call him. And did you see, if you, if you read too quickly, you miss it. Jesus, Jesus called him. And so the disciples, they called the blind man and said, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And what did he do? If you missed it, it's beautiful. And throwing off his cloak. Okay, this is a blind guy. You keep those things close by. Because you might not be able to find it. He threw it off. And sprang up. And came to Jesus. That's beautiful. He threw off everything that hindered him. Anything that would hold him back. He sprang up came to Jesus, maybe he left his cane behind and he came and said, here I am. And Jesus said, what is it that you want me to do for you? You tell me, what is it that you want me to do? Jesus knew. It's not that he had no clue. Jesus wanted to build that connection and say, tell me, what is it that your soul is crying out for? Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, which is basically saying, teach your master. Would you heal my sight? I want my sight to be recovered. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to see everything. In the Gospel of Matthew, he touched his eyes. said, go, for your faith has made you whole. And immediately his eyes opened up to technicolor. Could you imagine that first thing? You're seeing your first green, your first blue. You're seeing faces of people. And you go, that, that's my mom? Man, I thought she was bigger than that. Oh, mom, dad. That's what a flower looked like. That's what this looks like. That's what the city looks like. But the first thing that he saw is what? His Savior. He looked deeply into the eyes of his Savior. And what did he do? Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. He followed closely after Jesus. And where was Jesus going? 
to the cross. Showing Him fully what it means to follow after me. Follow after me. Take up your cross, Bartimaeus. You've got 18 miles to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to show you so much more now that your eyes are open spiritually and physically. You're going to see things you're not going to believe or totally understand. But remember, I was the one who touched your eyes and gave you sight. So I wonder, what what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus Christ? What does it mean for me as a pastor who, you know, pours over this for hours and hours as a, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a leader? What does it mean for me? It means, God, have mercy on me. I am messed up. I drop the ball as a husband all the time. I don't care for my kids as I should. I get selfish. Anybody else selfish here? Welcome. I'm selfish. Self-centered. I'm a jerk. Anybody else? Welcome. It's like an AA program, ain't it? Recovering Christians. But my call has got to be daily. Lord, Jesus Christ Have mercy on my soul, a sinner. Would you change me again this morning? You know, the Psalms talk about, and His mercies are new every morning. Brand new. As you wake up, you go, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus is going, none. Fresh start. Now go and be faithful. Follow after me. Pick up your cross. What does it mean for you? I don't know all your stories. I know some of them. Some of you, that kind of makes you squirm. But what is God saying to you this morning? Because, you know, we, we talked about in the baptism that these, are, these little boys are sinful by nature. That's, that's how they are. From, from the birth to a year old, They're sinful by nature. You are too. What is God saying to you? What is it that you need to be able to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Because, you know what, this has got to change. I've been living in this, this cesspool of me for way too long. I need you to pull me up out of this miry pit. Because there's no way that I can do it on my own. So this is how we're going to end it. Just because you haven't had enough Spurgeon yet. Another one of his sermons from uh, 1859. He spoke these words when God was just doing amazing, wonderful things. There was kind of a revival that was breaking out throughout the world. And he could have had the, the choice of, you know, Saying, all right, I'm going to preach this sermon and I'm going to have everybody stand up who wants to respond or have them come forward and we're going to lay, do all these kind of churchy kind of things. But he didn't. Not at all. The thought didn't even enter his mind. 
This is what he said. And I want you to listen closely. Because I think his sermon from that many years ago applies very clearly to us. He said this. Let me beseech you to go home to your room. And there, kneeling by your bedside, by faith, picturing the Savior saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? Fall on your knees. And without hesitation, tell Him all. Tell Him that you are guilty. And that you desire that He would pardon you. Confess your sins. Keep none of them back. Say, Lord, I implore you, Pardon my drunkenness. Pardon my profanity. Or whatever it may be that you are guilty of. And then still imagine you hearing Him say, What do you want me to do for you? Tell Him, Lord, I would be kept from all those sins in the future. I shall not be content with being just pardoned. I want to be renewed. Tell them that you have a hard heart and ask Him to soften it. Tell Him that you have blind eyes. Amen? Blind eyes. And that you can't see your interest in Christ. Ask Him to open your heart. Confess before Him that you are full of iniquity and prone to wonder. Ask Him to take your heart and wash it. And then set it on things above and prevent it from being fond of things on the earth any longer. Tell it out plainly. Make a frank and full confession in His presence. And what if it should happen, my my dear hearer, that at this day, while you are in your room, Christ should give thee a touch of grace. I love it. Put your sins away and save your soul. And give you the joy to know that you are now a child of God and an heir of heaven. Imitate. Imitate the blind man in the explicitness and straightforwardness of his confession. And his request, Rabbi, I want to see. I'm not going to call you forward if you need to respond. Because we all need to respond in different ways, don't we? I want to encourage you. Maybe it's in this, we're going to be participating in communion in just a few minutes. Maybe it's before you come and participate in the body and blood of Christ where you're remembering the price that's paid. You spend some deep time in confession. Remembering the, the sins and the junk of this past week. Those things that you, you have not yet given to Christ. And maybe for some of you, as you're contemplating these words from Scripture, maybe the greatest thing that you need to submit is yourself for the very first time. As you hear the Savior saying, 
What is it that you want me to do for you? Maybe your cry, your heart cry is saying, I need you to save me. I need to respond by giving you me. All of me. I need you to respond. So we're going to celebrate communion, which is just a beautiful picture of the work of Jesus Christ. Where we as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, remember the life, the death, and the resurrection. Where we participate in the story of Christ by remembering His life, His body. His perfect life that none of us could have ever lived. And His death found in the the juice, the blood, commemorating the work that is done on the Christ the cross that gives us hope where we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are now children of the King. Where we no longer are hopeless and without, our, without any meaning or any purpose, but now we have hope found only in Jesus Christ. We participate that as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, not, not just a, a faithful church attender, okay? Let's be clear with that. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you desire to be faithful with your every moment and you have submitted your life to His leadership, not a church's leadership, His leadership, this table is open to you. You are welcome to come and celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate it by means of intention, which basically means we'll have two servers Uh, spots over here. You'll take a piece of bread, the body of Christ, broken for you. Come to the next station, dip it in the cup, the blood of Christ, poured out for you. And a proper response would be, Amen. I want you to take your time. We're going to listen to a, there's going to be a couple songs. And the one is called, uh, Came to Rescue Me. And it's a song that talks very deeply about this. So when you are ready, I encourage you to celebrate communion. Additionally, on the side You'll notice that there's baskets. This is our, we take two offerings every week. One is for the general operating expenses. The second is benevolence, which is a fancy way of recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. We want to give freely, as he has, to the needs of those who cannot care for themselves in our community. So you're welcome to give an offering at this time as well. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the bread and, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. What do you want me to do for you? I want eyes that can see. So come, for all things are ready.